I think it's a super exciting time because horror fans have always known that horror has a social commentary and, and that there can be something deeper going on in a horror film. But now it feels like the rest of the world is starting to see that. Hello and welcome to This Is My Cinema, the podcast that rewinds the tape on the film experiences that shaped our guests' lives, giving us an uncensored look into the movies and cinemas that made them. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader, and together we love to delve into not just those cinema memories, but what makes the perfect cinema outing too. We want to know if they had one night to take over a cinema, what they'd show, where they'd show it, and obviously, what they'd be snacking on throughout. Today, we're talking to director Prano Bailey Bond, and after seeing her new film, Censor, you know, I was a bit worried about what sort of cinematic offerings she might threaten us with. Yes, Prano's film Censor, which is brilliant, by the way, is all about a film censor in the 80s watching endless, gory video nasties, basically combining Prano's love of horror and cinema. Perfect for this podcast. And I'd strongly recommend checking out Prano's shorts that she made before Censor. Shortcut in particular is one we talk about in this chat and is well worth seeking out. So here she is, Prano Bailey Bond. Prano Bailey Bond, thank you so much for joining us. For the duration of our chat, this is your cinema and we love kicking off all of our conversations with this big high concept fairy tale question. So you have the run of a cinema of your choice for an evening to show us any film of your choice. So film, cinema, what comes to mind? Well, it's going to be a difficult one to choose, I think, on both fronts. (laughs) I've got to choose one cinema. Okay. I'm going to pick screen one at Pitch House Central because I have seen some films there and the sound and the image there is just incredible. But it's a hard choice for sure because screen one at the Genesis, which I was at a couple of nights ago and they've just redone it and it it's like walking into something out of a Kubrick film now. It's amazing. <laughs> and so that that is really close. But then also... <laughs> Um, the Hyde Park Picture House in Leeds, which is just, so, I don't know if you've been there, but it's so cool. its You have to wait outside before you go into the screen because it's so small. You can't go in, they've got a little booth where you buy your ticket out the front. So anyway, I'm cheating by having too many. You know, it's all the vogue nowadays and you're doing this with Sensor, having a screenings tour up and down the country. So I guess we could maybe push out the boat and this could be a screenings tour. But we need to know, what is the film we're all going to be watching? So I would probably pick a different film every day, but I think today (laughs) I'm going to say The Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I absolutely love the pure dread experience of that film. And I think after being in lockdown, I've wanted to see films that are going to have like a pure emotion experience. And I think there's something cathartic about the experience of watching that. But that's kind of what I'm in the mood for in this moment. I'd love that. It's like a punch in the face kind of a film. (laughs) I'm not in the mood for a punch in the face. (laughs) Just a cinematic one. Just to clarify. And luckily we're on Zoom, so... (laughs) Have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a cinema? I'm sort of assuming you must have at some point. I don't know if I have, actually. Yeah, I I don't know if I have, but oh my God, the score and the sound design, it's just, I can almost hear it. It's like the sound design equivalent of running your nails down a blackboard, isn't it? (laughs) That film. 
It's just so horrible and brilliant and you can feel it in your teeth almost. And I quite like that. Yeah, it might wake me up a bit. <laughs> I've, I've never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for many reasons. Are you somebody who loves to show these old classics to people who definitely should have seen them? Do you love to watch people watch horror? I do. I'm the youngest of three. And I've been this way since being a child. So my brother and sister are a bit older than me and they went off to university and college and things. And I remember when I knew they were coming back to stay at the house, I'd line up my videos to be like, okay, they're coming back. They won't have seen this. They won't have seen that. And I'd be so disappointed if they weren't interested. (laughs) Or like, you know, after like 20 minutes, they're just like, oh, you're going you know go a cup of tea and then they never come back and you're like you've just been wanting to sit and watch them watch what you love so I think that's always been there I love showing other people things that I really enjoy and sharing them with with other people and I also love to watch when you've got another sort of friend who's like massively into cinema and they're like they want to show you their favorite film and you've never heard of it that's always brilliant to discover that's what's so fun for us doing this podcast but we also love hearing about the formation of taste and early loves so what were the films at that age that you loved that you really wanted to share with your family and hope they they dug it as well so that was kind of when i was probably a little bit older so there were the kind of form formative films that were my family's films that were on the sort of vhs shelf which were i was very lucky actually my family had good taste in films Eraser Head was one that really sticks out in my mind and Dark Star. So two mm-hmm. amazing debuts. I remember I feel like Dark Star part formed my sense of humour because it's such a bonkers alien in that film. Like it's a beach ball basically. But I was so convinced that it was an alien and it, it's so strange the atmosphere of that film and so funny. So I definitely feel that kind of formed me. And then also like the Marx Brothers and Monty Python, they were on the shelf. And then when I took control of my own part of that video shelf, Gummo and American Psycho were two big favourites for me. And I was massively into Tarantino as well as a teenager. Like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction were on a loop. (laughs) And The Lost Boys, that was one that I kind of watched probably once a week or something I knew all the lines and I'd just sit there and recite the script basically as it played I love that as well the Tarantino influence that's something that my brother showed me the the ear severing scene which of course it was imprinted on my mind as an actual ear sever that you see and you don't and that's what's I kind of I loved so much about how people misrepresent what you think about when you think of these extreme cinema absolutely and the same goes for texas chainsaw massacre actually because if you break down what you actually see in that film you think you see a lot more than you do um it you know it cuts away just as you're something is about to happen most of the time but our brains are filling in the gaps and i think a lot of the time that can be worse than seeing it and how much of these films when you were a kid were you watching I mean, you said that you were very lucky with that VHS shelf, but what films are you seeing at the cinema? I think the first thing I remember seeing in the cinema was The Little Mermaid, and I loved it. I think my granny took me and my cousin to see it, and I remember that my male cousin cried and I didn't, and I was really like, 
<laughs> really sort of, for some reason, quite smug about the fact that I hadn't cried, <laughs> which is really weird to think back to now. But the closest cinema to my house was about a 30-minute drive, and there was one screen. So when I was really young, I didn't get to go to the cinema that much. But then when I was living closer to the cinema, I'd go more. And another, I grew up in Wales, in rural countryside, but eventually moved to the closest bigger town, which was Aberystwyth. And by the time I moved there, Aberystwyth Arts Centre had its own little cinema and I used to volunteer in order to get free tickets. So I basically just stood on the door and took people's ticket stubs. And then if anything happened, I was supposed to point people to the fire exit. So I got to see some really great films there, but I, a memory has kind of come back to me recently because at Aberystwyth Arts Centre are going to be showing Censor and I remembered going to work drunk, as you do when you're like 16, 17. I think I'd been drinking cider in the sun with my friends and I went and it was Julian Donkey Boy and I was so drunk that I just couldn't. I, I just sneaked out of the film because the handheld camera work was making me feel sick. It's an amazing film, so it's nothing to do with the, the film not being good, but in that state, I couldn't handle it. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was really happy when that cinema opened because they showed different kinds of films, basically, that maybe weren't more mainstream cinema on the seafront. But I do remember seeing human traffic in the main cinema in Aberystwyth. And that was the first time I'd ever been in a cinema where um, there was a standing ovation at the end. And it was just a normal screening. But I think the Welsh audience and probably a bunch of ravers had come to see <laughs> this film, which is obviously, you know, it's a, a Welsh film as well, a Welsh director. And yeah, it was like, such an amazing experience seeing everybody get up at the end and just clap and cheer so that's always stuck in my mind as well do you think that horror is a misunderstood genre because whenever you know you kind of speak to people and it feels like overwhelmingly the reaction is like oh i can't watch horror and i used to be one of those people and i am a changed woman don't worry but it's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction and so as somebody who has been so entrenched in loving horror films for so much of their lives how do you feel about that and do you think it's changing i do think it's changing yeah and i'm really excited about that i think there's a couple of different things going on one is that in the past i do think that maybe horror has been looked down upon horror is not the kind of genre that like wins awards and it's a low b movie type thing which is crazy because there's so many incredible horror films from the past that are actually classic films i mean just off the top of my head the shining rosemary's baby i'd say lots of lynch films are horror films as well but i think what's happening or has been happening particularly in the last kind of 10 years is there's been more horror breaking out in the mainstream that has been maybe more obviously and more accessibly about something social, like a social commentary that more people can come to. I, I think of films like The Babadook and Get Out in particular as being key horror films that have like drawn in wider audiences. And actually, I think that's made the industry look differently at horror, which mm. has meant there's more interest in making horror films for a bigger audience and, and in turn that means that there's more horror films for audiences to go and see. So I think it's like a super exciting time 
because horror fans have always known that horror has a social commentary and, and that there can be something deeper going on in a horror film. But now it feels like the rest of the world is starting to see that. So there's that side. But then also, for example, with Censor, I've had a couple of friends come to film previews of the film and they've come to see it because they're my friend and mm. they're not necessarily horror fans and they've been like, oh, I don't, you know, don't know if I'll need a pillow to hide behind and things. And then they've come away just being like, oh my God, I loved that. I think because particularly women, I've actually found that particularly with women who think that they don't like horror, that there's a really psychological aspect to censor and also some other recent horror films things like Saint Maud and Relic and The Babadook as well that we're going into the mind of complex dark female characters in a perhaps a different way because they're being written by women that I think really appeals to female audiences so I hope that will continue and will just lure more and more people over to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is very much about celebrating the cinema experience as well as watching films at home, of course. But what I love about horror, we talk so much about what films are going to save cinema, bring us back to cinema. The horror genre is one of the genres that works so well in a crowded room with other people. And most of those films you just mentioned, St. Maud, Get Out, The Babadook, are films that I very much cherish seeing in a cinema. So what's your big screen history with seeing horror in the cinema uh, do you enjoy seeing horror out there i love seeing horror in the cinema i think it's the best place to watch horror i mean to be honest i'd rather watch any film in the cinema full stop mm. because you're immersed into a film in a really engaged different way when you're in a dark room with other people and you've turned your phone off and you don't have the distractions of your home. So I'd always rather see a film in the cinema, but I think the thing with horror is it's uh, it, horror can be a little bit like a roller coaster ride, and that's quite fun when you've got other people reacting next to you because it, it's a shared roller coaster ride. So hearing other people laugh and gasp and have those kind of giggles of relief after there's been a scare or I think those things are just much better experienced in a group environment and also the sound and image is hopefully always going to be better than watching a film at home and, and that's always going to add to the experience for sure. And what's it like when it's one of your own films up there on the big screen? Is that what's it like being the director in the equation when your film's on the screen? I remember the first time I ever heard someone sort of squeal or, or shriek. <laughs> in one of my films which was for one of my early short films and so yeah someone screamed in the audience and it was like as a filmmaker hearing that is just gold it's just the best <laughs> hearing people vocally react I mean I did a, sh a short film called Shortcut which has quite a graphic and shocking ending <laughs> and it's also quite funny and that was so much fun. I remember seeing that at the Prince Charles Cinema with like a full audience in their, in their main big screen. And people were like laughing and shouting and then laughing and screaming. And I was like, wow, it made me almost think, oh, I want to do comedy because it's so gratifying getting this reaction. Because when people are quiet, they might be having their own relationship, they might be engaged, but you, you don't know for sure. So it's, it's really thrilling and it's been really fun watching censor for the first time with audiences because obviously 
the first screenings, our world premiere of the film, all the festival screenings have been remote. So now being able to actually watch Censor with an audience has been amazing and hearing people laugh the moments that the jokes that you were hoping would land and shriek and gasp and things has been really fun we've of course had neve alga on this podcast before and she is such a special actress and she just has such a watchable quality about her are you as her director able to pinpoint what it is about her performance that just makes her unforgettable on screen i mean i can certainly talk about what she did with censor but she is pretty unforgettable in every role that she does she's she's a chameleon mm-hmm. she transforms from one role to the next in such an incredible way which I knew before casting her because I'd seen her in the virtues first and then I and she's just so at once like sort of strong and messy and vulnerable and empathetic and then I'd seen her in pure and she's this quite together businesswoman and so I could see that even though she had a mullet in all those roles. <laughs> Her character <laughs> was very different from one role to the next. I was very happy to shift that hairstyle up for her in, in Sensor. <laughs> but when she came in and read for Enid, she has this ability to put thought on screen and that's what I needed for this character because Enid is not just censoring art, but she's also censoring herself. She's very close and on the page could seem quite cold. And Neve brings so much empathy to her characters. She lets us in, even if the character isn't letting us in. Neve is giving us enough that we're leaning into that person. And that is the nuance that, that she's able to bring and her truthfulness. But then when we were reading the first sort of scenes for Censor and we kind of went to the latter part of the film where the Enid is not such a coiled spring anymore. She's less tightly wound, obviously, but she just took those into this emotional stratosphere. She's got such range and she really she's not afraid to go there. She's very daring as an actor. But she's got something really electric and magical about her that I just don't know how to explain when somebody has that 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 you can't look away. And that's what I knew I needed for for Enid was someone that was going to glue us to the screen and she does that in every role. Can you remember the last time that you were in the cinema or maybe the first time you were in a cinema and you felt like you were discovering a performer in a role that perhaps they, you know, they weren't a household name at that point and you just knew in that moment they were going to be big? Do you know what? I remember seeing Florence Pugh in The Falling. I remember just being like, wow, she is special. Like, I... I thought I want to work with her. <laughs> then when she was in Lady Macbeth, that made mm. complete sense to me. And she, I'm just not surprised that she has gone to such success. But also Riz Ahmed obviously is already a household name and he's already an impeccable actor. And we all know that about him. But The Sound of Metal, his performance in mm. that, which I saw after lockdown, I went to, I saved that one to go and see it on the big screen. And I was so happy because... I was just sat there watching his performance thinking he could be, he just, he's doing so little and so much all at the same time. I could watch him forever. I just think he's absolutely amazing. He's so complicated. It's these actors that are able to take these complicated characters and these emotions that 
that character probably doesn't even understand themselves and communicate that to an audience in a way that we lean into. I just think it's actually quite magic. I have so much respect for actors because what they do is amazing and I I still haven't quite worked out how they do it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love the image you painted of you as, as a youngster volunteering at the art centre in Aberystwyth with in order to see all these films you know, from the from the world over, quite off the beaten track films like Julian Donkey Boy. Do you still have that hunger for cinema now, and and how do you uh, you know satisfy that hunger? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I would be watching films all the time if I could. I have been going to the cinema every night recently, but I've, it's it's senseless playing, and I I don't watch it every time, but. Maybe I should be going and watching something else at the same time as Census playing. But I love going to the cinema and I really, really missed it during lockdown. So May the 17th, when that date... Actually, every time a lockdown's finished, the first thing I've done, everybody else goes and sees their family and friends and I go to the cinema. But yeah, I'm constantly seeking out new, exciting thrills that I can experience in film. And um, luckily, my, my boyfriend is a filmmaker as well and... We've both got quite dark tastes, but different, I suppose, like, we come at film from different angles, so it's really fun being able to share films together. So we've got that at home, so we're, we watch films all the time at home too. Have you ever had, like, a, a thrill too far? Like, have you ever been like, actually, no, I, even I can't handle this? <laughs> yes, and I'm super interested in hearing more from other horror fans and, like, what they feel goes too far but when I watched the uncut version of a Serbian film a few years ago I didn't know what I was going into I just knew that basically that film it had been billed for like every horror festival and I was I think it was when I was going around with Nasty my short film and I remember Mm -hmm. being like oh Serbian film's playing and then it kept getting pulled from festivals because of it being quite problematic I worked in the pub at the time and there was this guy who I'd met who was a horror fan who used to bring me like uncut copies of of things like he brought me in like the uncut version of the devils and cannibal holocaust and stuff oh, in like wow. a plastic bag <laughs> I, do, I would not want to see what the uncut version of cannibal holocaust yeah is. it's actually that we can get to that because that would be the other thing that I've seen that is just way too far but a Serbian film is all fictional and has things in it that after I watched it I came out of the my housemate's bedroom we'd watched it together I came out and my other housemate was like what was the film like what what happened and I was like I can't talk about it I don't (laughs) want to even repeat what I've seen and it was one of the only films that's been heavily cut recently by the BBFC and um weirdly I don't really believe in censorship (laughs) under normal circumstances but I was kind of like yes I think they computed the right thing there (laughs) but then Cannibal Holocaust is another one because that has real animal murders in it that Mm. are I mean the the filmmaker openly said he included them in order to make the human deaths look more real because he wanted it to seem like a sort of snuff fan footage film and it's just absolutely horrible to watch and and horrible Mm. that the filmmakers and the actors actually did that to those animals. Yeah. But I recently also watched Wake and Fright, which has a really upsetting scene where they go kangaroo hunting or kangaroo murdering, I would call it. 
and the filmmaker, the director, actually didn't want to shoot anything specifically for the film in terms of hurting animals. So he went on a kangaroo hunt with kangaroo hunters and he filmed them doing what they did, which is I I had to watch through my hands and I was crying and I just can't, I can't handle violence towards animals. I think it's completely wrong. And obviously there's laws in place now to prevent it happening. But the, I, I, after the film, because the film is so amazing, Wake and Fright is just such an incredible film. After I'd watched it, I was like Googling to find out how they'd shot it. And, and yeah, he'd, he'd filmed a real life hunt and actually was really worried about what to include and didn't include some of the worst stuff, which is very worrying because what's included is really horrible. But two years after that film came out, because everybody was so disgusted by what they'd seen, they banned kangaroo hunting in Australia. And so that was an interesting one to read about because you think, well, are there some films, are there, is there including some of this stuff in films does that can that sometimes lead to change um Mm. so we can't always assume the director's intentions i think with cannibal holocaust he was so open about his intentions and why he was doing it and he did get prosecuted rightly but it was a very different case with wake and fright and if that film hadn't been made like that, would they still be killing kangaroos like that? With Cannibal Holocaust, was it? Did he even have to like bring his actors to court to prove that it hadn't been a snuff film and that they were alive and it was just acting? Yeah, yeah. It just seems just crazy. Think, oh my god! It? I kind of think that I, I quite like to make a film just about what happened there. Yes. And I did try to find ways to include that in censor at times. So I was like, it's so fascinating, but it didn't quite fit. But yeah, he made them all sign contracts that said they wouldn't work for a certain period of time after the film was released. And he cast unknowns so that nobody would be like, but that's so-and-so from this film. And they would then pop up in like a soap opera and they'd be like, ah, they were all fine. So during this court case, he had to get the actors to come forward and say, it's okay, we're still alive. (laughs) Um, Because everybody believed that he'd actually killed the actors as well. This is one of the really fascinating things about horror is that, of course, there's the experience of watching the film, but then, as you say, there's the Googling afterwards. How do they do it? The stories around the films, the discourses around horror as you tackle in censor, but also the way that horror as a genre is almost a film school in its own right because through the use of music, tension and suspense, prosthetics and you know, visual effects, you're learning as you watch. And what I love about your films is that you've worked with one of the rock stars of visual effects, prosthetic effects, Dan Martin, and we haven't had the chance to talk about him on this podcast yet. But can you talk? Because he did he did the, um, the the penis and shortcut, right? He did, and we had some really <laughs> really funny conversations about that because at one point I was talking about how the because the, in that the character goes to the toilet outdoors, and he I was like he's unzipping his flies and he gets his penis out and Dan and I talked about what we need what kind of penis we needed for the film and he Dan was like do you just want a penis or penis with balls and blah blah and I was like no just a penis and then a male friend had said but hang on a minute he's going to get his balls out as well as his penis like and I was like what do men men don't get their balls out as well as their penis when they go for a wee and and he was like yeah, like if I was in the wild, I'd get it all out. And I, I was like then frantically Googling like balls in, <laughs> balls out. 
I went to Dan and I was like, Dan, should the, it have balls? Because he was already making this prosthetic. And he thought this was so funny. He started texting me pictures of men in urinals with their trousers, like right down around their ankles and things like that. So we had some really fun, interesting conversations. And I learned a lot on that film about how men go to the toilet. But Dan is amazing. And he also keeps my feet on the ground sometimes. Because I remember saying to him on that, Dan, what I want is what happens, the penis happens. And then I want like blood to just spray all over its face and there's blood everywhere. And he was like, Quano, have you heard of gravity? (laughs) Blood doesn't go up. So he's always there to like <laughs> keep the filmmaker's feet on the ground when you're like, and then the head explodes and and he's like, this is how it would actually work, which he's so smart. He's so clever. This is a short tangent, but Harmony Kareen, I find him such a fascinating filmmaker as an independent filmmaker, very low budget, very authentic and quite provocative. Lots of what people would associate with horror, but he's not a horror filmmaker. So what do you take from his films like Gummo? As a teenager, they were just so different. And I think they spoke to me. I I think I was just seeing a way of making films that felt really different. It's quite disjointed in a way. It's lots of sketches almost. Like the characters don't all come together, but it holds you throughout. And I think it really appealed to my brain as as a strange, dark teenager. So there was that, and obviously he wrote Kids, and his whole story is really interesting in terms of him coming into filmmaking, but he also just always seemed like he didn't care, and I think as a teenager that was like quite cool. And He did a project that I don't know if it ever actually got finished or anything, but it was called Cinema of Cruelty, where apparently he'd go out and get people to film him going out in the street, and he'd just like get into fights and get beaten up by people. And he'd end up in hospital constantly until basically they were like, I think a mixture of the police and his producers were like, you have to stop doing this now. Mm. And I just, that's very strange behaviour, obviously, from a filmmaker. But I guess as a teenager, I would never have done that. But I was really intrigued by that and by him. He wrote a book as well called A Crack Up at the Race Riots, which I had as a teenager and that I, I've, I would read that over and over again. I just think, yeah, there's something quite unusual about him. I, he's very daring, again. Uh, he doesn't follow the rules, and I think that can be quite inspiring to you as a filmmaker, even if you're the kind of person that wants to be slightly more traditional. But it's the same. one of the same reasons I love David Lynch. You know, like Lynch's films showed me that films could be so dreamy and nightmarish, and they could be art and they could tackle structure differently. But actually, when you break his films down, he is dealing quite traditionally with structure in a lot of them. Like, for example, Blue Velvet is considered like really weird and off the wall, but it's a very traditional story structure. Looking at how certain filmmakers bend rules, and for me, was always really exciting to look at form and, and how you can work with form, basically. Yeah, it's only really been as part of this conversation. I've never really thought of... Harmony Korean in a similar world to something like Cannibal Holocaust in a way where you're not really sure what's real, what's acted out. Like in Gummo, there's a scene later on where there's like a house party and everyone's getting drunk and like breaking chairs over each other's backs and everything. You're like, am I supposed to be watching this? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. 
a question I wanted to ask was, as a filmmaker with your, your debut coming out, people are always likely to try and find inspirations that you might have had and influences that you might have had in your films. How does that feel for you as a filmmaker? Is that something that you welcome or is it something that you might try and distance yourself from? I think a film like Sensor wears its influences on its sleeve, to be honest. So I'm quite happy to talk about influences in that film because... It's about film and it's about a very specific period of time and about a very specific set of films. So I actually had a lot of fun being able to like lean into certain techniques and styles of those films and employ some of those elements, rework them and, and use the bits that were helpful to me. But also there's a certain nostalgia that you're leaning into that you kind of want to evoke in people because there are films within Censor that are trying to be video nasties from that period, but they're fictional mm-hmm. video nasties that we shot ourselves. So I think in that sense, I'm always, I think also with my short films, a lot of them have worn their influences on this, on their yeah. sleeve and my music videos. I did one that was like a reimagining of the Bride of Frankenstein with Imelda May, for example. So I really enjoy that. I think particularly in horror horror fans there's a language that that's like another language within horror horror fans know everything about the genre like the hardcore ones and you can almost employ that to have another layer of meaning going on within Mm. the the story so it's all fine by me and I've always said that Lynch was big inspiration to me Mm. you obviously you hope that you're doing something unique at the same time you're not just like regurgitating these influences which you absolutely did with censor and also you managed to put yourself into a video nasty which is very cool yeah we had like this sort of temp shot which we were using and we couldn't license it It was from a a horror film and then it was like oh well it's just a woman covered in blood swinging a knife and we'll we'll just shoot (laughs) ourselves and it was during lockdown last year the first lockdown and i conveniently lived with my DOP at that point and we had this nice wooden wall in our house so I just covered myself in fake blood well stuck a white nighty on obviously I have plenty of spooky white nighties lying around the house and did it myself and it was it was a fun day to entertain us during <laughs> the quiet lockdown one this has been such a treat thank you we, we need to wrap things up and we'll go all the way back to the beginning so let's remind ourselves Screen one, Picture House Central, and we're watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper original, not the remake. Oh, definitely. Yes. <laughs> Very important point. Thank you. That would be such a disappointing night out, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, really would. <laughs> but also, we need to ask the big question, what are we eating and drinking? So when I go to the cinema, I always take a bag of sweet and salty popcorn and a bottle of red wine. That's my, mm. that's my cinema. <laughs> Companion, that and my boyfriend, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) It's so simple and it's so perfect. It's It's so perfect. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think that's been my favourite one yet, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Mainly the bottle of red wine. I actually took a bottle and a half to to see Old and and that was appreciated. I loved Old, (laughs) it was so much fun. And the bottle and a half of wine made it even more fun <laughs> it is so much fun i drove to see it so i couldn't drink but Aww. i would have definitely have appreciated a gin or two but it Hopefully was hilarious the film made you feel drunk <laughs> oh oh wait the end <laughs> <laughs> prano thank you so much for talking to us it's been a real real pleasure uh, it's such a pleasure thank you for having me 
Hearing people talking passionately about something that I don't know much about makes me really want to seek it out, so perhaps I will try and watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre if Prano really thinks that's one that everybody should see. Oh god. Well, Rihanna, we must catch up if you do get to watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> You're was... coming with me, Michael. <laughs> I, I will be right there on the sofa with you seeing it live <laughs> but gosh what an absolute pleasure to talk with Prano Bailey Bond I love talking with filmmakers and horror filmmakers in particular about horror because horror is that world that community where there's so much to delve into the themes around it the world around it particular highlight for me hearing about Dan Martin, the special <laughs> effects prosthetic wizard uh, working on uh, on Shortcut with Prano. And also just hearing what shocks the unshockable, which is always really interesting. So if you haven't seen Sensor yet, make sure you go and check it out. And if you want to catch up on some of our other conversations, including the one with Sensor star Neve Alga, just check back in our podcast feed. Thanks for listening. Bye. This Is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Thank you.